When Swift is on the grill, good times are sure to follow, and we'll help you keep them going around the grill all season long. Good food, good moments, one great meal. Come together with Swift. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This is Deb Carson from Fox Sports Radio, and you're listening to Jim and Florence on the Forum. Hi, everyone. This is Jim Jackson. Welcome to the Forum. And boy, have we been busy these last two weeks. We are going to be gone from the 18th to about the 8th. And we're not going to be doing podcasting. We're going to be still doing our marketing, still doing our thing. But we're just taking a little bit of break. We have a lot of things planned for the fall, even with the COVID situation. And it's very exciting. So we're just going to kind of take a deep breath, be able to concentrate on all the things that we're doing, and then go from there. Florence, it surely is an exciting time. Even with all the tragedy that's gone on, we have really rocked it this year. And it's due to our great guests and our great listeners. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. And yes, I agree with all the stuff going on in the world. It is nice to focus on the positive things. And we've had some amazing guests lately. And boy, we have one now. And you know how excited I am when we have wrestlers on. I get a little bit of a uh, a little giddy up in my step and I get a little excited. But boy, I don't think I've ever been as excited as I am now to talk to this next guest. Yes, he is known as the Tennessee Stud. His name is Ron Fuller Welch, and we were lucky enough to have him as part of our celebrity book club. And his book, Brutus, which we did a review on, which everyone loved and is doing really well. Um, Again, we were were lucky enough to get him. So, hi, Ron. How are you? Welcome to the forum. Well, thank you very much, Florence. I appreciate it, and I'm certainly glad to be on with you. Ron, you have had one of the most storied business careers, I think, when it comes to wrestling, when it comes to all the things that you've been involved with. And first of all, let's talk about your family history in wrestling, especially for young listeners that may not know your history in the South and in Tennessee. Why don't you talk about your familial history in the wrestling world? Okay, uh my grandfather actually was the first Welch to wrestle. Uh, he was trained by a wrestler way out west uh, called the Dirty Dutch Mantel. And this is not the Dutch Mantel that some people are going to say, oh, you're talking about Dutch Mantel that's, that's been around uh, from the 70s and 80s. Uh, my granddad started in 1920. <laughs> yeah, so he's quite a bit ahead of that Dutch. And uh, so... Uh, yeah, he started out there in uh, West Texas, uh, around Amarillo in that area. And uh, then uh, I come from the largest, the oldest and the largest wrestling family uh, ever. And, you know, so I've got 24 members in my family that have either wrestled or refereed or promoted or owned companies uh, that were involved and made their living in professional wrestling. 
So I come from, you know, a lot of a lot of wrestlers. Obviously, I have a brother that wrestles. I have a first cousin that wrestles. I have a brother named Robert Robert Fuller. He also worked for WCW as Colonel Parker. Sure. Uh, he worked for WWE as Tennessee Lee. Uh, I have a cousin named Jimmy Golden that uh, has been bunkhouse buck for WCW as well as uh, having a 50-year career of his own uh, in the ring. So. Uh, I come from a huge wrestling family, uh, just uh, what four generations uh, at this point, and a hundred years basically. My granddad started in 1920, and we've still got some of our youngsters that are still in it a uh, hundred years later. Um, now, with you being a lifer, as they say in the wrestling business, with such a long history, who actually physically trained you? Uh, actually, you know, you would think my dad trained me, but, uh, my dad did train me. My dad taught me how to shoot, uh, which means how to really wrestle. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and my grandfather was trained by one of the greatest shooters of all time, the original Dutch Mantel. And my grandfather was very, very good. I mean, you know, he, he knew how to hurt people if he needed to. And uh, my dad taught me those same things. <laughs> But when it came time to train to actually become a professional wrestler, he handed me over to a, a guy named Corsica Gene. There were two brothers, two Corsican brothers, Joe and Gene. And uh, I trained uh, in the 1970 after I finished playing basketball at the University of Miami. Mm -hmm. I trained in, in Georgia and uh, wrestled there for six months and then went to Florida for the first four years of my career, basically. When you and we we want to also talk about what a great athlete you were. What were your dimensions when you were in college? How tall are were you, and what was your weight? Because you played at the University of Miami, I believe, before Rick Barry, right? Uh, no, right after. Little, little after, after Rick uh -huh. Barry, just after Rick Barry, uh, and I played my freshman year at Clemson, and then mm -hmm. I transferred to the University of Miami as a sophomore. Uh, I was about, uh, I was always, I was six, nine in both places. I was already up there. I had the height. I was about 230, 235 in college. Uh, and as a pro, I got up into the 270 range, 275. Uh, you know, I got a little bigger, obviously. And when you wrestle as compared to playing basketball, you are going to have more muscle, obviously. Sure. So that, uh, that uh, where it put that weight on me. But uh, yeah, I had a, had a pretty good career at the University of Miami, and I had the opportunity to play some fabulous basketball players. And I was really lucky. Uh, Miami was not in the ACC as it is now. It was an independent, and uh, we wrestled. We, I mean, we played uh, out in L.A. We played uh, UCLA the year they won the national championship. Yep, at Poly. Yep. Yeah, we played at Poly. Uh, we played uh, – uh, Artis Gilmore in the number two team that year. They, the national championship game was Jacksonville University and UCLA, and I played against both those centers. Wow. Uh, Artis Gilmore and uh, the center for the for the UCLA team. So, uh, you know, I had an opportunity to play some great players. I played against Wayne Cowens. Mm. Went on to – he was Florida State, so we played Florida State, obviously, being in the same state. and. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had, I, had a, I had a pretty good career. I really enjoyed playing basketball, but it, wrestling was what I always wanted to do. Sure. Was there an opportunity, was there ever a time that you thought you wouldn't be a wrestler, but it was just kind of in your blood and this was what we, you were going to do? 
No, I thought that, that I would retire. I thought I would quit as a wrestler that, uh, you know, I, I did, it was my grandfather's life. He, he went through his entire life with it and uh, retired uh, after having built territories and uh, run a tremendous business. He, he operated wrestling in 12 states at one time in the South. Uh, he just was had a monstrous company and then my dad spent his life in it and I thought I would too, but uh, things <laughs> changed in the 80s, wrestling changed. Oh gosh, don't, I didn't even want to get there or go there, but <laughs> I don't like you know, you know how I feel about all that, but do you recall some of your first matches? Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you always remember some of your first matches. Uh, uh, it, it's such a, such a strange thing to be a professional wrestler. Uh, it, you know, you, you, you have your – and having grown up like I did in the sport, uh, you see these guys and they become heroes to you. They're, they're icons to you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I end up wrestling some of those guys early on in my career. Uh, the Assassins, which were mm. a great tag team. Jody Hamilton and, and Tom Renesto. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrestled uh, Nick Bockwinkel as a real young guy. One of the know. greats. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, uh, just huge names. Bob Armstrong. When Bob Armstrong was young, he was, you know, he was in, he was just getting started and so yeah, yeah you, you. And then once I went to Florida, I had the opportunity to wrestle just some amazing talent. Uh, Dusty Rhodes when he was a heel, and uh, uh, the Bobby Shane who was a tremendous star that got killed in the plane wreck. Oh yeah. Uh, just uh, all kinds of great wrestlers. I mean, uh, and then been all over the world, wrestled in Japan, wrestled in Australia, wrestled in the Caribbean, throughout the Caribbean. Uh, I've been to Europe. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 it, I really had a great career in wrestling. You really did because back then it's not like now where you go to Japan and now you come back and you're ready for the, uh, us Olympic gymnastics team. It, it was real wrestling back then. And you had some of the greats of all time with Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody and, and obviously Baba and all that, all their crew over there. And my gosh, they were so I love going on YouTube watching those. I watched you in an old uh, Japanese match, and it was amazing to see. You guys all could work, and that's what I loved about it so much, that everyone had those basic skills that made the foundational portion of wrestling so good. And I think that's what I really miss. But I love watching those old things. Yeah, that is, you know, it's a real experience to wrestle in some countries. Japan is just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a world of its own as far as wrestling is concerned. The fans, uh, they react totally different. Mm -hmm. The wrestlers are very stiff and solid. Uh, There's so much difference in there. But, uh, you know, a couple of names I probably should have remembered uh, when you asked me the question earlier. I wrestled so many former world champions. I wrestled Lou Thez. I wrestled uh, oh, Pat man. O'Connor. I wrestled Gene Kaninsky. Uh, all were U- world champions at one time or another. I wrestled some for world titles. So, you know, I got my career kind of spanned in a lot of years where you had those really legitimate, big time, I mean, fantastic wrestlers. And I had opportunity to wrestle from some of the greatest, really, in, in, the, in the history of the sport. The, and this is what shows how good of a wrestler you were, Ron, because they are trusting you to put these guys over, and they're also trusting you to wrestle these guys safely. 
And it's amazing the trust that they have to put on you with their champions because a lot of champions, and I don't want to give up any names because I don't want to be ripped apart, but there's a lot of people that you can't trust. And that's why, to me, when you look at what I think is wrong with wrestling is there's no heels. To me, the heel is the basis and foundation of your company. The heels are who puts everyone over. And if you don't have good heels, you're going to get screwed. And people like you and other people that put these guys over, you're the key and foundation to wrestling. Yeah, you know, you're right about the heel. I mean, uh, the heel is, yeah, he's the whole thing. He's the emphasis of everything. Without heat in wrestling, without the fans hating someone, Mm -hmm. uh, you didn't draw any people. You know, it's pretty plain. You couldn't have two baby faces in there wrestling every night uh, and, and draw crowds continuously. Those heels were the, they were the backbone of the industry, that's for sure. And uh, we've always had that support, especially during the, from the 40s, uh, gosh, really probably from the 30s, right straight on into the 80s. There was just some phenomenal, phenomenal mm. wrestlers in America, uh, tremendous heels. Oh, yeah. Just and that's those are the ones that I like. And even my age group, when we look at the 80s, to me, that's what made WWE is that they had all the best Mr. Perfect, Rick Rude, Jake Roberts, Roddy Piper. You have some of the greatest heels of all time. Paul Arndorf, who I'm sorry, Paul is so forgotten in wrestling and he was such an amazing talent. And it just bothers me that more people don't name him as one of the greats because boy, he was he was a part of everything. Tremendous football player as well. <clears throat> yeah, uh, Tampa. When, yeah, and I went to Tampa. Like I said, once I left Georgia, I went to Florida and when the office was based in Tampa. I, I knew Paul when he was still playing football. Mm. He would come down to the uh, wrestling office. And he want, he was already wanting to be a wrestler before he got out of college. He played University of Tampa, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know. So, uh, and he wrestled for me. Luckily, in my companies, he got I, I used him quite a bit in the early '80s before he went to WWE. Like mm-hmm. uh, same thing I had with Arn Anderson. I got mm-hmm. Arn Anderson started. I got uh, Honky Tonk Man came from me. Sure. Hulk Hogan came from me from my company. So many of the big stars for WWE really learned their skills working uh, in the South. I hated when WWE would say, look at these stars that WWE and Vince McMahon create. And I'm like, are you kidding me? None of them are created by WWE. They have the money to buy them from other areas. Every single superstar, none of them were originally from WWE. No, they didn't produce their own stars. They they, They didn't produce their own stars. And like you say, they bought them. (laughs) <laughs> so we, we probably don't want to go there, I think. <laughs> well, uh, you're you know? going to get me upset, Ron. So, uh, uh, But what, Ron, one thing I did want to ask you, because I love wrestling. I love the science of it, the mind games that are played, and the, the mental portion. How did you guys, your grandfather, how did your family teach people to do promos? Did you just, was it, because you were really good. I love your promos. Were they natural did they get? Did they just watch you and give you pointers? How did you get someone to to give a good promo? Well, it, it doesn't happen nowadays because the wrestlers didn't didn't don't get a chance to talk as much as you mm-hmm. do. When you were when I was young and getting started in this early seventies, uh, you got to if you once you became somewhat a star, you got to interview all the time and. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and it's just like any other part of your sport uh, and the skills that it takes. Uh, once you wrestle every night, you're going to pick up how to wrestle. But it, talking and doing the interviews, just the same thing as learning how to wrestle. The yeah. more practice you got, the better you got at it. I don't think there were very many wrestlers that ever started out making great interviews. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a learning process. There used to be a saying back in the, the early '70s that uh, you don't get to be a star in wrestling till you're five to eight, eight years in, mm-hmm. yeah, because it takes. And part of that was because you couldn't talk. You, yeah. you don't learn how to do those interviews until you're about five to seven, eight years in. And you, and you can't really be taught that. You know, mm-hmm. they try to teach that. I, I think they actually try to teach that in WWE, you know. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, I guess they write everything. <laughs> yeah, everything's scripted. You know? And it's so, it's so much better when it all comes out spontaneously. You know, you had so many great wrestlers, like Terry Funk is an example, that made just tremendous interviews. And, and he didn't know what he was going to say. We none of us knew what we were going to say. The red light comes on. You got two minutes, and you just wing it. You just go with it, and uh, and it comes from the heart. It comes from yep. inside. You can't train that. You can't teach that, and you certainly can't write that. Give it to a guy and say, here's what I want you to do. You look at Dusty Rose. I don't think I knew half of what he said, but I'm just believing everything he's saying because he's just so passionate and he's portraying a person. And that's what I love. It was like you guys were yourselves. You guys were natural, and it came out where now it just seems like everyone's playing a character. Obviously, there's a lot of control. Wrestlers have complained about the scripts and wwe but i just love the macho man let him go uh you know jake roberts just an absolute icon those are people that they mesmerize you with your with their promos because they're just so good uh nick bockwinkle he wasn't the greatest promo in the world but he made you believe him that he was a bad guy and and he was he was the greatest in history and you're thinking man this this guy's just amazing and you believed every word he said bobby the brain heen and i love listening to bobby and oh, yeah. people yeah. forget he was a good he wasn't a bad wrestler so yeah he, yeah, he was pretty good he yeah pretty so so there's so many I, I just miss it that's why i'm on the internet so much and i and i love jim Cornette, and i love some of the others and you're the the stud cast obviously that we're going to share to all our listeners it's so much fun to talk about people like and even mick foley and your brother it's just amazing uh how much joy they gave to us and how much joy we got from wrestling at that time everyone was a wrestling fan uh now i want to kind of also talk something that's in my craw a little bit is talk about some of the crowds you guys drew it bothers me that people think this is like this renaissance uh, wrestling where there's the crowds are so big now you guys really drew and you guys drew weekly in territories oh yeah yeah you know and and you're right Uh, you know people think about wwe as being the monster company and nobody ever drew that much uh, my dad in 1950s, 1956, in Mobile, Alabama, which is, you know, the, it probably had a population of 250,000 people, I would say, in the, in the mid-50s in Mobile, uh, drew 40,000 people in Ladd Stadium to see him and Mario Galento. Wow. Uh, in 1965, he wrestled the same guy in Atlanta. They drew uh, 38,000 in, in a baseball stadium. 
uh, here and the uh, gosh, it's right there. I've forgotten the name of the stadium, but uh, it's uh, it's before the Atlanta Braves came there in the stadium they used to play ball in there, Ponce de Leon Baseball Stadium, mm, and they uh -huh. drew thirty-eight thousand. Uh, he went to Phoenix when there was no nobody drawing anything out in the western part of the United States. It drew twenty-seven thousand people in Phoenix. Uh, just uh, in another baseball stadium there. Wow. And just, uh, you know, and people, and that, that wasn't, uh, that, that was happening everywhere back yep. in those days. The, you know, the territories were on fire. Uh, you had matches every night, uh, and you went to the same city once a week, and all those cities were selling out. I remember when Dusty Rhodes turned babyface in Florida for, uh, for like 19 weeks straight, every city and that we went to sold out. And a lot of times you had more people outside than could get inside. Yeah. They would just, uh, they'd have to come. The police would have to come and disband the crowd because they, they were, they wouldn't go home. They would stand out and listen on the outside and yeah. outside the Tampa, uh, the old army in Tampa had windows and no air conditioning and they would stand up for, they'd be packed up back a hundred deep just listening to the to the match. <laughs> yeah, the, it was a it was window. a huge part of life, and like out here, I remember one of my uh, friends' uh, grandfathers who used to say, "The holiday, especially the holidays, were so huge. Everyone goes to the movies now, but Christmas, uh, all these holidays, it was wrestling. Oh, you yeah. know, you went to the wrestling matches. That those were their big days. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, yep. uh, Thanksgiving with my company." Uh, the last uh, Southeastern company I had, Continental, actually, uh, we used to wrestle twice on Thanksgiving and twice on Christmas. We wrestled in Knoxville in the afternoon and Eastern time, and we would travel to Birmingham in Central time and wrestle that night in Birmingham. Do two shows a day on Thanksgiving and Christmas every year. And it was the biggest crowds of the year. Uh, oh, you could not get the people into the buildings. The buildings were too small. Yeah, and now they're tr they're having trouble filling 2,000-seat stadium, you know, arenas during the week for house shows. So, yeah, right. just there's a lot that bothers me, so I better stop before I have to go to counseling. But I do have some pictures <laughs> of the original Dutch Mantel that I am going to, this guy, wow. Because oh. these, I guess, are very rare. There's one of his that actually he's in a suit. He's in, yes, <laughs> he looks in amazing. Yeah, yeah, he looks amazing. I love this. I love it. So we're going to share a little bit about him. Now, you transitioned like no other wrestler. You went out of wrestling and tell me, how does a Southern gentleman like you that wrestled some of the greatest wrestlers of all time now is into hockey? What happened during that transition? Well, uh, I, I retired in 1988 because of what Vince was doing and what was happening with WWE and the territories mm -hmm. were kind of fading away. And I saw the writing on the wall and and uh, and I, I did nothing for about six months. And there was a hockey team in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I had a friend of mine who had worked with me as a partner with my last wrestling company called USA Wrestling. And he said, Ron, have you ever been to a hockey game? I said, no, I've seen them, but I've never been to a live game. So we go and watch a hockey game. And, and I wasn't impressed. I mean, the, the way the game started, and it was kind of boring. And the players just come out, skate around in a circle. There's no introductions. There's nothing happening mm -hmm. there and uh then about the second period i don't think i'd have ever been in hockey if they hadn't had a fight that night 
<laughs> that's the truth you know second period they dropped the gloves and they went at it and the building stood up and i said boy now bobby i i, I can identify with this we, I, we can do something with this yep. you know so we found out how to get into the east coast hockey league which was the lowest level minor mm-hmm. league uh franchises were twenty five thousand dollars it was pretty inexpensive to get in they had they weren't drawing the thousand twelve hundred fifteen hundred people if they were that would be the big crowd for them and and uh we bought a franchise for nashville and we went to nashville and we brought wrestling to hockey i think is what we basically did uh, we we did it totally different than anybody had done hockey yet. and the old timers and the people in hockey were very conservative they didn't like it. Uh, yeah. had two of them come to the first night we ever had a game in Nashville, and and they came in the office after we opened the night up. Instead of just having the guys come skate around, we let the opposing team go skate around, and then boy, we shut the whole building down. We darkened the building, then went totally black. We played bad to the bone. Uh, wow. We spotlights on. We introduced our players. I mean, uh, the other team. Quit, quit skating. They had never seen anything like it. And their coach <laughs> was like standing over there watching, like, what are they doing? You know, and uh, and <laughs> it was really an amazing thing to watch it. And the two uh, NHL guys show up in my office and they're just mad. They, they, what are you doing to our game? And I said, I'm turning these people on. I'm going I'm to turn your game on, man. Yep. And, uh, you know, and then later on, it did. I mean, they, they all copied that game introduction. Hey, the Bulls copied it out of Chicago. Yeah. Uh, and that's become commonplace. Yeah. Every bit, every sport is doing it now. They all do that game introduction. And and it, it changed that. We, we they every like I said, every team was drawing. 1,500 was the biggest crowd. We drew 6,000 the very first night. Wow. Like, wow, what did you do over there? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, so you, uh, it's a it, it was an experience for me. We had an even better. Uh, we went to, next year. We got a team in Cincinnati, Ohio, and they averaged in our second year there. We averaged ten thousand two hundred people a game. Yeah, you were outdrawing NHL teams. We 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 were drawing, outdrawing seven NHL teams. Yep. Uh, we were we were just unbelievable. People were going, "What in the world do they do down there?" And they were sending everybody in. They, the office staff <laughs> and every team would show up and they're, they're taking notes and, you know, we were doing crazy stuff. We mm-hmm. even had in Cincinnati, we had an applause meter that nobody had ever seen that before. I, you know, I wanted to create more revenue. So I said, we need an applause meter. And the guy says, what are you talking about? And I said, well, the name of the team is the Cyclones. Let's build a huge sign down at the end of the building and set it up so that when the crowd gets, the louder the crowd gets, the higher the Cyclone lights. Gosh. And, uh, you know, we did things that were just uh, unbelievable. You guys really revolutionized sports. I mean, you look at the Seattle applause meter and some of the other very loud stadiums that had never been done before. Now, all of a sudden, it's become the thing. And it's amazing how you brought a little wrestling into sport. I don't think you get the credit for all the things that you did in all the sports and every, they copycat everything when it brings in money, they'll copycat it. But that is amazing story that, that you guys did that. And now it's kind of the norm. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it is, it is the norm anymore. Uh, I don't, I don't believe there's probably an, any team in the NHL that doesn't have a game, an introduction that in fact, uh, I, I live in Tampa 
and, and boy, they have a they have a big time one. They yeah. really take it to they they have lightning in their building, man. <laughs> that is a, yeah. The sharks we have a like a thirty foot shark, and yeah. the players come out of the shark. So. Oh yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> yes. I think that was the first. That was about one of the first in the NHL that I saw that was that went to, started doing the game intro. Yeah. Sharks out there. Now there's not this that much information. You also got into ADT security. That's correct. Yes, yeah. And you became one of the biggest offices in your in section of the country. Yeah. Uh, and then when I when I finished with my hockey and I sold my second team, I went to the Florida Keys and retired. And I'd play ball down there at Miami and I used to tell the players, I'm gonna live down here someday. We'd go down there sometimes and rent boats and go out on the beautiful reef right there mm-hmm. in Key Largo. And I would tell the guys, I'm gonna live here someday and they would all laugh at me. So, you know, so I went down and I did retire and stayed there for a while and I went back and uh back to Tennessee and I wrote the book. And then after that I got involved in ADT and I really got involved in, in the business world. <laughs> you know, my businesses had been in sports. I had the mm-hmm. wrestling companies. I had a hockey, uh, two hockey teams and hockey companies. And and I, I really learned business when I went to ADT. But yeah, I, I had pretty good success. And we had the, we were the largest dealer in the southeastern United States. We're the 12th largest dealer in North America. That's amazing. We kind of lit them up in, in that business, too. And we did a lot of things there that hadn't been done, too. So. Well, I hope you guys didn't have I- intros at the ADT office. That would have been a little weird. <laughs> well, we used to have these meetings <laughs> where they could hear us blocks down the street. I mean, we... We did some crazy things there too, and then that turned their heads too. Some of those people, <laughs> they would send people into our offices and say, well, "How are they doing this?" You know. <laughs> so. Now, when when was the first time, or is this something that you dreamed about that you really wanted, thought seriously of writing a novel? Uh, I never thought about writing a novel, to be honest with you. I guess maybe you know, I I, th- I figured that someday I might write a wrestling book. But uh, I never thought about writing a novel. And, and one night uh, when I was living in Tennessee, this was about 1998, I had a dream. And it was a crazy dream. And, and I'd wake up and I would go back and start the dream again. It was like a, it went all night long. Mm-hmm. And I got up the next morning and I told my wife, I said, uh, I got to write a book. Mm. <laughs> you know. And she goes, about wrestling? I said, no, no, I got to write a book about this dream I had last Oh, boy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, and that's how, that's where the idea came from and the whole concept. I'd never written anything. And, and I spent uh, two years in my basement uh, working on a book. And uh, and, uh, and it, it just evolves. I mean, uh, you know, I, I found out when you're trying to write, uh, it's uh, you start out trying to be a writer, and, and if at some point, your book becomes the writer. It mm-hmm. it takes over, you know. It just kind of takes over you. And and I'd go down there and I'd be I'd be wait. What am I going to do here? And and within ten minutes, I'm like, wow. What am I? Where where's this going? <laughs> yeah, you know, it was interesting. It was extremely interesting for me. I'd never I'd never done anything like that. Did many people know you were doing it? Did you share that, or was it just something that you just kind of kept on the down low until you thought you'd finish it? No, I, I didn't. I really didn't talk much about. I was working on a book, and you know, because I I didn't really believe anything would ever come of it. 
I thought, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll go down here and just put these thoughts down or whatever. And, uh, and it just, and, and then what was really funny is the, the book was, I, I wrote the book and I finished about uh, 2000 in the year 2000. And, and uh, it sat in my drawer in my home for 20 years. <laughs> so mm. like, and then I finally pulled it out one day and I go, why don't I finish this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so why don't I get this thing uh, published, you know? And you never know whether your book is going to be good or not, uh, you know, until you until you actually get it out there and you, people start to read it, you know? You, you don't know what to expect from all your work, whether you've wasted your time or... Or uh, if it's been a if it's been a good uh, process and and you've done something worthwhile, it's a strange thing, right? It's hard too because there's so many amateurs are writing, and I don't want to cut anyone down. But there's a lot of I think there's something like twenty five thousand new authors a year, and we've. T- talk to a lot of them. We've read some books and some of them Florence won't let me comment on because we'll get in trouble, but they're not the greatest. So when we read your book, a lot of people were cutting us down. Oh, you're just doing this for a favor or a wrestler writing a novel. Give me a break. But when we read it, it was one of those books that was like, you know what? I, I think I'm not going to do this or not going to go to the store. Not gonna, I'm going to keep reading. And it just got you and it wanted to finish. And what I liked about the way you wrote it, you wrote it very, it's an easy read. It's not one of these books that you're just like, oh my gosh, why are we talking about the ice cream stand for 20 pages? It was one of those that got to the point. What I really love is that each character, you kind of saw a little bit of yourself in like I said, it's want to give too much of the book away, but what I loved about it, and Florence did too, you really did great character development with this with this book. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, there are some very strange characters in that book, you know, yeah. and the, the Jebediah critical character in the book. Sure. And, uh, you know, it, I, I tried intentionally, you know, I started out, to, I wanted to make him a totally sympathetic character, you know. Mm-hmm. And then as time goes on, I, I, I said, geez, this guy's a bigger heel than I thought he was. <laughs> so, and I, got, I got to change this. I got to write him a little more heel here, you know. I mean, yep. it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a wrestling match. You know, uh, it, it's a c- continuing, it's like booking your towns and, and your territory and your wrestlers have these uh, angles and these programs and they're, they're feuding with each other. And it's a story. It's a, wrestling was a story when it was good, when it was really good. You had these great physical characters that were tremendous talkers. And the story, if the story was there, you had fans that just were, they, they were and and, uh, and I kind of felt like this book, in a way, is an opportunity to make heels and make baby faces, make people say, well, is he a heel or is he a baby? What's going on here with this guy? See, that's what I told Florence in the review, and you guys got to listen to our review to, to talk more in depth about the book. I felt I was in a wrestling match because there was times <laughs> where I couldn't figure out who was the heel, who was the face, and then it told a story just like a wrestling match because that's what you that's what wrestling doesn't do anymore. It's like two guys meet next week, let's have a championship bout. With wrestling in the good old days when it was good during the territory days, it took weeks to months to tell a story. And by the time these guys wrestled, you were breaking down the doors wanting to see it. You could not get enough of it. And that's kind of what this book was. At the end, the people that I liked 
that I thought were the faces, they ended up being the heel. And the yeah. heels yeah. that I didn't like, I totally yeah. related to them. And that's what I loved about it. Well, I thank, thank you very much for that. Uh, you know, I just, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, it's a wonderful experience when, when, uh, when you, when you, get something to happen that you just never think is going to happen. And, uh, uh, you know, and then in this story, uh, it's kind of like once that lion gets loose in the national park, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I kind of like the story up to that point, but when I was writing it and once that lion got loose, boy, I, it all flowed from there. I mean, it was like, wow, this is, this is going to be good. <laughs> I kind of got really into it when I, when that happened. You know, I was like, yeah, oh, I can see this now. So uh, it was, well, I really enjoyed it. Well, we definitely love the book. And I think Jim had the best comparison when he said it was a good comparison to the movie Jaws and to the book Jaws. It had that feel. And I definitely think that if people haven't bought the book, if they haven't read the book yet, they need to go do that. And what I wanted to ask you is, do you have any other books, any other stories that you're developing? Do you see yourself putting out more books? Because you really are a really good writer. I mean, I think the writing, the character development, like Jim said, was fantastic. So do you have any other books that uh, will be coming out soon? Well, uh, actually, this, this book, uh, Brutus, is, is written basically to have a sequel. I mean, uh, the lion, uh, the, the big bad lion, the, the man-eater that comes from Africa and ends up in the park, uh, before he leaves the zoo and then and, and gets away from the zoo, he, he, uh, he, he, has a, he has a little love affair with the uh, female <laughs> lioness there. Yeah. And, yeah. Then uh, at the end of the book, on the on toward the, the last page, actually, uh, there's a little scene there that kind of sets it up. Uh, and there's been another cub. There's been a giant cub born <laughs> in a zoo, and uh, it's just about the six months or eight months or <laughs> after that uh, the lion escaped, and uh, now uh, that uh, that turns out to be the the son. That'll turn out to be Brutus's son, and and uh, you know I want to see where the book goes. If the book does well if it does very well uh, i think there's a sequel that could be just as good it could be like jaws i mean if you could have jaws one <laughs> jaws two jaws three you know maybe that's the deal I, I i don't know where where it's going actually but but i don't plan any other book in a different direction except maybe i, I want to do a book on my family uh, yeah all of the 100 years in the ring mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, my family has got such great history and we're, we're pretty much unknown to a lot of people. And, and that would probably be something I might do. I think that would be important, Ron, because especially me being in the California, I like I didn't even know what Smoky Mountain Wrestling was. And right. until like four years ago, I didn't even know that existed. But in the South, a lot of people don't know San Francisco wrestling or they don't know Portland wrestling or no. they don't know LA wrestling. So I think because this is why the crowds you guys drew were so impressive. You guys didn't have the internet. You didn't have Facebook. You didn't have websites. People could go on or getting email alerts. This was word of mouth. This was people having to go out of the way, their way to find out about it. And thousands and thousands of people would go to these matches. And see, this is what I think is so important is families like yours 
you wrestled some of the greatest wrestlers of all time and your family was involved in all that. You are part of the foundation of wrestling. I think that, uh, boy, I would line up to read that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that, that I'm probably going to do that undoubtedly because I, I'd like to leave something. Uh, my grandfather would have never thought anybody would ever know him. And, uh, and I, I think he deserves that. My father's the same way. Uh, they had tremendous success, uh, stayed in primarily the South, uh, weren't mm -hmm. recognized in other parts of the country. Uh, I got to where I traveled outside the South and wrestled in other areas and out of the country. Uh, my brother did a little bit of that as well. But uh, I just, uh, I think there's a great story there and I, it's a legacy for my family. I'd kind of like to leave a legacy so that people know about the Welches. And, uh, I think uh, we've earned a place in, in wrestling. For sure. There's so many people in wrestling and this is what we have the, I, I'm a huge historian and just like people like Brian Lass and Jim Cornette, it, it just, it's like drugs to me. I just love talking about the wrestling of, of the past and the fun things that happened and how much enjoyment it gave to people for decades, not just for my generation. But I think what's really cool about your family is that they literally had a part in every part of the country a wrestler from every part of the country be it texas be it st louis be it japan you guys had ties to every part of the wrestling world and i think that you guys have never gotten the credit let's face it i think wwe is a problem because they don't really vince mcmahon always bragged i don't even watch wrestling outside of wwe and this is what i have a problem with is that we don't respect the history of wrestling as we should we're taught we're told we're old school we're out of touch it's ridiculous and i want i can't get enough and i want to know the stories of this so i think this book would be just so awesome we would promote it a million times like i i would love to have this out there well you know, I hope I could do it in less than two years. <laughs> well, your your problem well, isn't the. People, I, I've often wondered how long did it take Peter Beachley to, to, <laughs> to write Jaws. You know, Ron. Ron, your problem is you write okay. The two years isn't bad. It's the twenty years deciding to bring it out. That's the that's the part we got to work on. Uh. <laughs> I agree. I agree. You know, I postponed it. I guess I postponed the. Uh, the debut for Brutus. <laughs> probably far too long. Yeah, you might have might want to, you know, pull the string on that and let it out a little quicker. But Ron, we're gonna have you on again. You you become a friend and we just love your show. Why don't you talk to everybody? Because we are going to be representing you big time on Twitter and on our YouTube and other channels that we're gonna be showing all the fun things that you're about. And we want more and more people to get involved with because Brian has such an amazing network and you do such a great job with your stud cast. Why don't you talk about where to get your podcast, which is called the stud cast, Tennessee stud, and also the name of your book and just plug anything that you'd like. Well, uh, yeah, I do. I do. I do seven hours a month of, of podcasts. Uh, four hours. I do a one hour every week studcast, I call it. And it's, it's basically started out with my grandfather. I'm in 160 episodes at this point. And I've got, I've covered from 19, 
1902 basically to about 1976. Uh, and that's a weekly product. It's, it's free uh, wherever people pick up their podcast. And uh, I've got a pretty darn good the listenership uh, around the world. Oddly enough, I have a tremendous audience in in uh, in England and in Australia because I've been to Australia. I have a lot of Japanese people that uh, that get in touch with me on social media, and I hit the translation button to see what yeah. see what, the, what what the message is. But uh, you know, it's 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 an interesting show, and it's basically my life, my family's history. I do a a three-hour, once-a-month super stud cast, I call it, and it's basically with just a wrestler. Maybe one wrestler, maybe two. I've done one episode as Terry Funk for an hour and a half, and Stan Hansen, and then, and, and, then and, and, and part of that time, they're together on there, which is crazy. You get guys like that on there. Oh, you know? yeah. So it's a, you know, so I, I do those, those, and you can find those. I have a website. Uh, if, if people would like to go there and check it out, it's TN Stud, Tennessee, obviously, TNStud.com. And uh, on there, I have every stud cast I've ever done. I have every super stud cast. They can get them there. I have the book on there, as a matter of fact, now. And uh, so, and, you know, a few other things, T-shirts, things like that. But uh, basically, uh, that's that's what I do uh, as far as wrestling is concerned nowadays and and I really enjoy it because my life, my my, my family's lifetime, and you know, it's it's, it's all we ever did, and and uh, I just uh, I kind of I kind of feel lucky that I have an, an outlet here that I can talk about it, and people seem to really like it because it's historical. It's a historical type of podcast, and I just tell facts and stories and. And, uh, and I come from a great wrestling family, and uh, I'm a pretty decent storyteller. I so, think uh, you're okay. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it works out okay. So if you are into wrestling, you want to know more about this great family, 100 years of wrestling history, this is where you want to go. Patreon.com front slash studcast. Florence, if I wouldn't, I would go until me and Ron break down, pass out. <laughs> So we better stop now. Why don't you end it? Well, again, it was such an honor to be here and be able to speak with Ron and talk about his amazing career and his wonderful book. Again, this is an amazing book and everyone needs to go get it. So thank you so much, Ron, for being on the forum. We truly appreciate it. And thank you to everyone out there because you guys are loving our interviews. You're loving the YouTube and having our podcasts up there. So thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Ron. Again, get Brutus at Amazon. Brutus, the yeah. book by Ron Fuller. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much for your support. Redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. 
Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 